0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan.
1: Ursula K. Le Guin once said, where there's property, there's theft. Great. (laughs) I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers
2: on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone.
1: So Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode?
2: Is it still stealing if I deserve it? Our theme text, Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not steal.
1: Boy, that was quick. That was easy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So coming up in today's podcast, uh, you shall not steal sounds so simple. Well, what if we told you it's one of the most far-reaching commandments of all of them? Find out how that is in about 15 minutes. You might be thinking, what's wrong with taking little things that no one will miss or even notice? Now, that's a good question. We're going to see what Jesus says about that in about 30 minutes. So, what about this? What if you feel like you have no choice? It's down to steal or die. What should we do then? We're going to address this particular question and its context in about 45 minutes. But let's get started by setting our general context. Have you noticed how blurred the world has become? It's become increasingly more difficult to locate and abide by any life guidelines that represent clear boundaries and a clear direction forward. The Eighth Commandment was simple. You shall not steal. This was a clear directive to not take what is not yours. Fast forward society several thousand years, and we have quotes that call that simple statement into question, like this quote. It's not stealing if you don't get caught. <laughs> Great, again. <laughs> then there's the more philosophic approach, like this quote from Motion Hamid, which says, You see, it's my passionately held belief that the right to possess property is at best a contingent one. When disparities become too great, a superior right, that to life, outweighs the right to property. Ergo, the very poor have the right to steal from the very rich. All right. What exactly is our Christian responsibility regarding stealing? How definitive are the guidelines, and are there any gray areas. So, Jonathan, we've got a big subject to cover with all of this at this point. This is the Eighth Commandment. Let's just start by briefly recapping the first seven commandments, because we're doing a series on on all ten. The first four commandments were all about how to thrive in relation to spirituality and to who God is, and it's from Exodus 20, verses 3 to
2: 8. You shall have no other gods before me. And we covered that in episode 1147. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. We covered that also in episode 1147. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We talked about that in episode 1136. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That was episode 1127.
1: All right, those are the first four commandments. The fifth commandment is the first step in establishing how to thrive as a physical nation in relation to one another, and it's very, very specific. Fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, episode 1161. So then we have the sixth and seventh commandments, and they're the first and most fundamental commands regarding our relationship with our entire human family and our most personal relationship within that family.
2: You shall not murder, episode eleven sixty-eight, and you shall not commit adultery, episode eleven sixty-nine.
1: Now we're up to date. Now comes the eighth commandment, which is the foundation, which is foundational in establishing the personal rights of those around us in our community. And again, Jonathan, Exodus 2015, what is it?
2: You shall not steal. And Rick, that word steal means to thieve, literally or figuratively. By implication, to deceive.
1: So it's interesting that deception is part of the definition, by implication, and we'll we'll see how that fits uh, very, very shortly. So the four words in this commandment, you shall not steal, represent a very broad meaning and are explained in several scriptures in the first five books of the Old Testament, and that's called the Pentateuch, the, the five books of Moses. And what we want to understand is stealing leaks into every other commandment. You can look at every other commandment and the breaking of it has something to do with deceiving or taking that which isn't yours or not not, not keeping what belongs to someone else where it belongs.
2: And Rick, it's amazing how detailed the Old Testament law is in describing how um, any case of stealing uh, is just completely written out. It's just like, wow, that's every kind of stealing that's possible. There's there's an answer or a solution or
1: a penalty. And, and that's the thing that's so important here. You look at that, and the average person says, okay, you don't take what's not yours. Big deal. Let me move on. Well, let's try and lay this out so you can get a big picture. Look at that. And you're right, Jonathan. It's, it's a broad perspective. So let's start with a very big picture, a very broad perspective of you shall not steal. You shall not steal applies to the lives of our fellow man. Each individual has a right to live according to the law. Now, this is really... Interesting and very, very forceful, this application of you shall not steal. Exodus 21, 16.
2: He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. Well, Rick, this shows God's concern for the sacredness of life. It
1: does. The word kidnaps is the same word as steal. Okay? We want to understand that. We want to see. So kidnapping is stealing. There is no difference in the penalty for kidnapping. If the person is found alive or or not, there is no difference. Take someone against their will, and the law says you should die. That's a big deal. Jews were not allowed to steal people from other nations. They weren't. And I might add that in the past, hundreds of years ago, there were many, many, many Christians, so-called, and I say that very, very forcefully, who said, well, the Bible you know, support slavery, so therefore we can do this or that. You were looking at the Old Testament, and if you were abiding by the Old Testament law, you should have died. You just don't take people like that. You don't do it. God was very, very specific about that. So that's a very big, powerful application of you shall not steal. Now, you shall not steal also applies to how we treat one another within the context of general business life. So this may not be as dramatic, but it's still important. Leviticus 19, verses 11 to 13.
2: You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to
1: remain with you all night until morning. Okay, there's, there's several pieces to that, but Jonathan, on top of that word steal, it said you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob your neighbor. What, what, what's with those two words?
2: Well, oppress means to press upon, oppress or defraud, violate. And rob means to pluck off, strip or rob.
1: Okay, so what this particular scripture is saying, you don't steal, you don't deal falsely, you don't defraud, you don't take from, and even when it came to wages, you had a day laborer working with you, you paid them that day. It was considered defrauding somebody to not pay them the day that they worked. So the, the Old Testament law is very specific. Simple honesty and integrity are what are, we're supposed to prevail. It's It's... It's amazing how much of that is in the law of God that most people don't ever understand because they never go beyond the Ten Commandments. And you see those general statements, but there's so much more to them. Let's go another step. You shall not steal applies to the specifics of buying, selling, and trading amongst ourselves. Leviticus 19, 35 and 36. You
2: shall do no wrong in judgment, in measure of weight or capacity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and that word means a measure of grain, and a just hin, and that means a liquid measure. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of
1: Egypt. It's wonderful. I love it when God says, I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, because he's reminding them you were mistreated. I brought you out of mistreatment, and you will not mistreat others. And so in matters of trade, What God is saying to Israel is, be precise, have integrity. So we're just touching on some examples of what You Shall Not Steal deals with. And already, just in a few minutes, we've seen it deals with a lot of things, a broad, broad spectrum of how we live our lives. So, Jonathan, as we wrap up this introduction, the high standards of honesty, what do we get here so far?
2: Well, to steal is to disrespect God is clear that our fellow man and their property and their rights must be respected above our own wants, lacks, and desires.
1: Okay, their property, their rights must be respected above our own wants, lacks, and desires. So stealing is a broad-based activity that we should always avoid. Because it's so broad, avoiding its allure can sometimes be hard. Stealing can happen on many levels. Are there different penalties for stealing different things? Good question. We did already see that the act of kidnapping carried the death penalty. To be sure, stealing on levels beneath taking someone against their will brought other kinds of penalties. As we look into this, we will see what things were most important to protect and why they were so important. So, there are absolutely in the Old Testament law several levels of stealing and several levels therefore of penalty so before we get into those and and this this becomes quite fascinating when we take this all apart i want to go to a sound bite because one that one of the things that happens how do people end up stealing they create an environment in most cases to make it okay in their own minds the soundbite comes from a, a, a video, How People Rationalize Fraud, by Kelly Richmond Pope. This is was a TED Talk, and he's going to be talking about, at the very beginning, something called the Fraud Triangle.
0: The truth is that many people are susceptible not only to the temptation to commit fraud, but to convincing themselves that they've done nothing wrong. So why does fraud happen? While individual motivations may differ from case to case... The Fraud Triangle, a model developed by criminologist Donald Cressy, shows three conditions that make fraud likely. Pressure, opportunity, and rationalization. Pressure is often what motivates someone to engage in fraud to begin with. It could be a personal debt, an addiction, an earnings quota, a sudden job loss, or an illness in the family. As for opportunity, many people in both public and private sectors have access to tools that enable them to commit and conceal fraud. Corporate credit cards, internal company data, or control over the budget. The combination of pressure and being exposed to such opportunities on a daily basis can create a strong temptation. But even with these two elements, most fraud still requires rationalization.
1: So... He talks about pressure, opportunity, and rationalization. Pressure always occurs first, opportunity presents itself, and then we rationalize our way into, cre- into, into doing something that we really, really shouldn't do. Rationalization will come up a little bit later in the podcast, but Jonathan, these are two very important things. Understanding that there's pressure that, that somehow is created, whether it's legitimate or not. Right. And then we look for opportunity to alleviate the pressure and it gets us in trouble. So now let's look at stealing in relation to Old Testament penalties. You shall not steal, as it applies to many general experiences of taking what's not yours. We're going to look at some experiences and then look at the penalties. So, Jonathan, let's go to Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We're going to start with verses 1 through 3 to begin with.
2: Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a person sins and acts unfaithfully against the Lord and deceives his companions in regard to a deposit or a security entrusted to him or through robbery, or if he has extorted from his companion or has found what was lost and lied about it and sworn falsely so that he sins in regard to any one of the things a man may do. So this, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was thinking, if we have a god-based conscience we're acting unfaithfully to the lord as well as the person we rob and you don't think about
1: that yeah and, and we should because it said it it said that exact thing in verse two when a person sins and acts unfaithfully against the lord so you're right that's the thing that gets put aside That's part of the rationalization process, sort of the pre-rationalization to give ourselves the opportunity to get the pressure going so we can get the opportunity, so we can rationalize, so we can take what we want. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And this talks about several things, Uh, deceiving your companion regarding a deposit or security, uh, something that you entrusted with them, or robbing them. Now, this is a slightly different word, Jonathan. What does that word robbery mean?
2: Well, simply means robbery or concretely, plunder.
1: Okay, so taking stuff from them or extorting. We already talked about that word meaning defrauding or, or violating or found what was lost but didn't turn it in, okay? You lost something, Jonathan, of great value and I found it. And it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. I oh, know. I'm glad. Hey, can you hand it over? What thing? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, see, that's, hey. <laughs> that, that's where it goes wrong. It's too easy to say, I found it. You know, he should, have kept he should have kept it closer to him. I found it. It should be mine. Those are the things that happen. Here is what the Old Testament law says should happen in relation to these things. Verses 4 and 5 of Leviticus chapter 6.
2: Then it shall be, when he sins and becomes guilty, that he shall restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by extortion, or the deposit which was entrusted to him, or the lost thing which he found or anything about which he swore falsely, he shall make restitution for it in full and add to it one-fifth more. He shall give it to the one whom it belongs on the day
1: he presents his guilt offering. So you have a combination of things here. First of all, restoration of what was stolen plus 20% squares you with your neighbor. But that's not all. You have to make it right with God. And it says... If I found that thing, Jonathan, that was yours, and now I have to restore it, I have to restore it plus 20%, I have to do it on the same day that I'm going to put myself right before God. How do I do that? How do I put myself right before God? Well, verses 6 and 7 are going to show us that.
2: Then he shall bring to the priest his guilt offering to the Lord, a ram without defect from the flock, according to your violation for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any one of the things which he may have done to incur guilt. Well, Rick, this gets very costly. So he's got to take one of his own rams. That costs a lot. Right. And offer it in sacrifice because of his mistake. So it's not only the thing that was defrauded, but it's 20% on top plus a ram.
1: So that thing I picked up that was yours that I didn't tell you about and I tried to keep from you, I probably should have just given back. Yeah, it cost you a lot, didn't <laughs> it? It? <laughs> it does. And it was a sin against God as much as a sin against the neighbor. And that's one of the basic principles of the Old Testament, you shall not steal. When you do that, folks, you're sinning against God. That's a, that's a universal principle. It's against his standards. So when we look at you shall not steal, so far, Jonathan, what do we have? The
2: one guilty of stealing was to not only fully replace what was taken and then some, he was to give of his own flock to God as a sacrifice to show his repentance.
1: And what I give of my own flock had to be a ram without defect. It had to be the best of the flock. So it gets your attention when there's a severe penalty like this. Okay, so we have this you shall not steal applying to many general experiences of taking what's not yours. Let's take it to another level. You shall not steal now, as it applies to the stealing of those things which give a man the ability to support his family. This is a whole different level here. So let's look at Exodus 22, verses 1 through 5. Let's start with 1 through 4.
2: If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in, and as struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He, the thief, shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what he stole is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Well, Rick, there's a lot of detail here. <laughs> uh, break it down for us. Make it simple.
1: Okay, let's 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 make this simple. Let's make this about you and I. All right. Okay. You have uh you have your oxen and your sheep, and I I steal, okay, I steal one. I steal your ox, and I take it and I slaughter or slaughter or I sell it. Well, if I do that, I owe you five oxen for that one. Wow. Okay. If I took. A sheep, I owe you four sheep for that one. Now, if I go at night to try to steal something from you and I'm in your barn at night and you hear something going in your barn and you come in there with your baseball bat. and Wham! You, <laughs> yeah, thanks, pal. <laughs> and you kill me because it's dark and there's no ability. You, you're, you're protecting your property. You are not held responsible. But if it's light and you can see who I am, then you have a responsibility. So okay. that's part of it. Now... What if I took your ox and I slaughtered it or sold it, but I don't have anything? I can't repay you. Well, then I need to be sold. Now, don't panic on this. This is not kidnapping. This is being sold for the cost of the debt. So I need to go to work for somebody to earn what that debt costs so I can rightfully pay you what I owe you because I did you wrong.
2: Okay.
1: If I stole your ox... But it's still in my possession. Maybe I stole it from you and I thought, ah, oh, you know what, Jonathan's such a good guy and I really shouldn't have taken it. And so I don't do anything with it and it's found out that I stole it. I still owe you two.
2: Okay, okay.
1: So All right. So this so, is a... Go ahead. So
2: don't steal. No,
1: don't. Steal. <laughs> don't. And, and see, this is a much bigger deal than the other. Remember, the other was adding 20%. But what this is telling us is do not get in, in the way of somebody's livelihood. Don't do that. That's a bigger offense in terms of stealing. So when we look at you shall not steal here, Jonathan, what do we have?
2: To steal a family's livelihood and profit from it brought a much higher penalty than anything but kidnapping. God's law was built to protect families and communities. So these are the family's livelihoods, these animals. Now, if you steal my only ox that plows my field, it would have devastated me and my family.
1: Right, right. So... I need to be respectful of you and what you have, and just because I think I should have it doesn't mean I have any right to it whatsoever. So you can see that the penalties vary depending on the kinds of circumstances, rightfully so. Let's go to the next one. You shall not steal as it applies to negligence in caring for one's own livestock that leads to the losses of another man's possessions. This is verse 5 of Exodus 22.
2: If a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed bare and lets his animals loose so that it grazes in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard.
1: So, Jonathan, let's translate. If I am careless with my fields and I let them and I don't cultivate them properly and my animals are grazing, there's nothing to eat, so they go to your house and they start eating from your field. I have to replace that with the best of what I have because it's not fair to you because I was negligent. Negligence is no excuse. It just simply isn't. So you shall not steal. What do we have there?
2: Negligence that results in another's loss is stealing. Negligence is no excuse.
1: It just isn't. We can't go down that road. Let's go to the next example. And folks, what we're doing is is giving you a sense of the detail of the Old Testament that covers all kinds of circumstances. So when we say, well, what about this? What about that? We've got an answer. We've got an answer in principle in the Old Testament. Next one, you shall not steal applying to breaches of trust and their penalty. So for breaches of trust and their penalty, let's look at Exodus chapter 22, verses 7 through 9.
2: If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him, and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he, the man who had been entrusted, shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. For each breach of trust, whether it is of an ox, for donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing, which is, one says, this is it, Uh, meaning, should give this to my neighbor to take care of it for me. The case of both parties, that is the property owner and the holder, shall come before the judges. He whom the judges condemn
1: shall pay double to his neighbor. Okay, confused yet? <laughs> A lot there. So let's let's put the names to it again. A man, Jonathan, you give me money or goods to keep for you. For you. You're you going away, and you have $1,500, and you say, Rick, I don't want to keep this in my house. Please hold this for me. I'll be back in two weeks. I say, Jonathan, sure thing, buddy. I got gotcha. you. That money is stolen from my house. Okay? okay? That money is stolen. I did not protect it. The man who had been trusted, I'm the owner of the house, I will appear before the judges, and if I did allow it to be stolen, I owe you double. Wow. Yes, I do. Okay. And you weren't even the thief. <laughs> no, but I did not protect your property. I was negligent and I end up paying for that. So now in the case of both parties, it can be switched here. Both parties sometimes have to come before the judge because what if the thief isn't caught? And now mm. you say, Rick, you stole my $1,500. But then I say, Jonathan, you told me you wanted to hold me to hold $1,500 of yours, but you never gave it to me. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. We have to go before the judge and the judge determines if you're trying to take me for a ride or if I'm trying to take you for a ride. Maybe in this case, because, you know, I let my animals graze in your field in the previous example. I'm not (laughs) a good guy here, am I? (laughs) But maybe you're looking at this saying, I'll get him back. And you try to set me up. That's also illegal. That's essentially stealing as well. And you would owe me double.
2: Well, this is tough, Rick, because your trust is broken, and, and there's a great liability here.
1: Yes, yeah, there is, and we need to be careful of that. When we're entrusted with the property of our neighbor and we lose it or take it, we do not fulfill that trust. So trust was a very big thing in the Old Testament and in all of Scripture. The penalty is appropriately much higher here, showing the trust factor is so very, very valuable. So wrapping this up, Jonathan, you shall not steal. What do we have here?
2: A breach of trust steals your relationship with your neighbor. The protection of our neighbor's goods is a matter of very high value and responsibility. So you can't set someone up or be careless. You need to respect
1: your neighbor. And that's the bottom line. All of this you shall not steal means you respect the people around you. And folks, as we look at our day-to-day and we look at the things that we do and the ways that we think, The question we have to ask ourselves right here and right now, am I always respecting my neighbor, my employer, my government, my associates with the ways that I act? And that, unfortunately, is not a good answer in a lot of cases in our day. So the principles, there's a lot more examples, but the principles that drove the Old Testament teaching regarding stealing, these principles are summed up here in Proverbs 11, verses 1 through 3.
2: A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the
1: upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. So you've got a very clear picture two things. First, and we've been saying this because the scriptures are telling us this, respect those around you. And that's serious. Second, have integrity be the driving force in your decisions regarding others and their property. You can feel jealous, you can feel rage, you can feel cheated, but you still need to have integrity be the driving force in your decisions. It's just the way the scriptures tell us it's supposed to work. You shall not steal. High standards of honesty.
2: The law of Israel made it clear that God expected his people to treat each other as the chosen people of God. What I want never gives me permission to take what you have. Disobeying this
1: commandment carried serious consequences. Treat others as the chosen people of God. What a great way to look at the Old Testament law and all of these regulations. So, God was amazingly specific in teaching Israel the specifics of avoiding theft. This reminds us how easy theft can be.
2: The Old Testament is clear regarding stealing and its
1: consequences. What about the New Testament? As we fast forward to the teachings of Jesus, it's important to remember two things. First, Jesus upheld the Old Testament moral law. And second, we need to remember that in Jesus' time, the penalties given that we just talked about in that moral law were in many cases unenforceable due to Israel being under Roman rule. The standards aren't lower
2: because the penalties are different. Righteousness is always expected.
1: And that is such an important point. Just because the penalties may be different and just because things may be more lenient doesn't give you a right to act unrighteously. It doesn't give you a right to act without integrity. It doesn't give, you, give us a right to act outside of our Christian principles. You shall not steal. So now let's focus on the New Testament. Let's establish to begin with how Jesus understood the most important aspects of the law. This is huge. This is, and, and, and we read this scripture, and this is a scripture a lot of you are going to be familiar with, and we take it for granted. But this is big. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees
2: heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets.
1: So Jesus came to fill the law, and his teaching here is vital. He is saying that the primary purpose of the law is to honor God talks about the beginning of the, of the Ten Commandments, and secondarily, to thoroughly respect those around you. So it sounds exactly like the Old Testament. He's picking up on that moral respect and integrity, and he's not changing a thing. He's not minimizing it, and just like you said before, just because the, the, the penalties may have been different doesn't mean doing wrong, is, it's still doing wrong. Therefore, you love loving your neighbor righteously is actually honoring God. What a thought. That's a beautiful thing. It's something we don't think about. If we love our neighbor, God is honored.
2: That that is just a cool thing.
1: And it's so simple. It's so it simple. When we do righteously, we honor God. It's just the way things work. L- let's go back. Let's go back to how people rationalize fraud, Kelly Richmond Pope the TED Talk. And now let's talk about or let him talk about rationalization.
0: Many fraudsters are first-time offenders, so in order to commit an act most would regard as wrong, they need to justify it to themselves. Some feel entitled to the money because they are underpaid and overworked, and others believe their fraud is victimless, perhaps even planning to return the money once their crisis is resolved. Some of the most common types of fraud don't even register as such to the perpetrator. Examples include employees fudging timesheets or expense reports, taxpayers failing to report cash earnings, or service providers overbilling insurance companies. Though these may seem small and can sometimes only involve hundreds of dollars, they all contribute to the big
1: picture. Fraud is responsible for billions and billions of dollars of losses. And and Jonathan, just a a quick story about this. Uh, About eight or nine months ago, there was a tornado that went through our hometown And wouldn't you know, it didn't damage too many buildings, but it happened to tear most of the big part of the roof off of the building that my office is in. And my office is on the top floor. And that meant that I had, it was raining inside. What a mess. (laughs) It was. It was a disastrous mess. And most of my stuff just got completely ruined. So you put in an insurance claim as you're supposed to. The thing is, it is so easy to put in a claim and to add a little bit, or to exaggerate a value, or, and nobody is going to know. Because the way it works is you put in the claim, you tell them what the value is, you take a picture, and nobody even comes out to look. They just say, okay, looks good, and they write you out a check for the amount. And just, just an example, all of my equipment was ruined. My, my fax machine, and my, my computer, and my scanner, and all of these things are ruined, except except for my 20-year-old copier.
2: Oh, no. The one you wanted to die, <laughs> the huh? <laughs> one, the
1: one I was, I'm like, it's going to die one of these days. It was sitting right next to my fax machine and got a few drops of water on it, but it's fine. But it would have been so easy to say, well, you know what? Everything else got ruined. Just might as well, you know, clean sweep. But you can't do that. Even, even re- replacing my, my desktop computer for the office, uh, it was a matter of I could have upgraded three or four times, and what I did, based on conscience, was call my, the computer company and say, "Look up the last computer I bought and match it. I want to have the equ- basic equivalent of power and RAM and all of those things because to me that was the right thing to do." So it's easy; it's easy to rationalize. Well, look at everything I lost. Look at the inconvenience I've had. Look at how difficult it is. Look how I've been mispl- displaced and all of this stuff. But you just do the right so it's a it's a lesson learned it's a lesson learned it's very easy but you just well, don't go
2: there and you can sleep at night
1: you know what and that's the other thing that's so important is you do your best you can and I actually I actually messed up you know to my own disadvantage on on figuring some of the things out and I was off by several hundred dollars but I also didn't need to replace everything so it's like uh, so what I they paid me I'm good I'm good and you're right you sleep well at night when you look at things that way. So now, let's look at what Jesus said about stealing. Here, in this next scripture, he's going to address the motivation for many sins, one of which is theft. Matthew 15, 15 to 20.
2: Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man.
1: So this is powerful because the Old Testament law was all about the what of right and wrong. Do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet, do not commit adultery. Jesus here is teaching and he's bringing us to the why of the right and wrong. The Old Testament is about what? Jesus is talking about the why. He's saying the corruption of our sinful hearts is where the dishonesty comes from, and theft is in that list. So stealing originates in a sinful heart. But but wait, Rick. uh, What if you legitimately
2: have a serious need that cannot be filled?
1: Okay, that's a good question. That is a legitimate question. We're going we're gonna to deal with that in the next segment. And that's a question that needs a lot of context, a lot of context. We'll leave that here. We'll come to it just in a few more minutes. Okay, Stealing takes place because of what we want, what we perceive to need, and we're stating it very specifically that way, what we want, what we perceive to need, or what we actually need. Let's look at an example of stealing to satisfy a want. And this is not a happy example here. Matthew 21, 12 to 13.
2: And Jesus entered the temple and drove all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Well, Rick they, they uh, corrupted uh, the whole thing. They were price gouging hmm. those people coming to buy animal
1: sacrifices to sacrifice to God. And those people were coming from long distances, and they had no other place to go to get the things they needed. And you're right, they were taking advantage of the average person, and Jesus would have no part of it. Jesus called it out, and he told them, My house this my father's house here shall be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves how dare you act with such a lack of integrity in such a holy place that's really that's, the bottom line that's it. inexcusable it is it is matter of fact we've got some really good comments from uh, bible commentary from john gill
2: these are the words of christ affirming what is complained of in jeremiah 7:11 and applying it to the present case on account of the wicked merchandise, unlawful gain, avarice, and extortion of the priests and the officers of the temple, who had a considerable share in these things, and to whom the temple was, and by them used, as a den of thieves and robbers, where they sheltered themselves. For these persons robbed both God and man, and the temple was a sanctuary to them.
1: They did it in a most sacred place, and had that protection, until a man named Jesus came along and said, not here, not now, not on, my turn, not on my time. And so that was stealing because you can, stealing because you want, stealing because of greed. There's no value in that whatsoever. Now look, sometimes stealing, you think you have a justifiable reason. Let's look at at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Again, this is a list. It's not a good list, but being a thief is on it
2: nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. Rick, a question. Yes. What if a kleptomaniac uh, had to steal? You know, what
1: about that case? Well, that, that person needs to get help. That's what they need. I mean, I, seriously. Seriously. If you've got this this compunction to do something like that, then it's not right, and you know it's not right, you owe it to yourself and to those around you to get help, and I am dead serious about that. You get help so that you don't do those things that are wrong. Well, I just can't help it. Yes, you can, because you can get help, and if you don't know how to get help, you ask somebody who can help you get help. It's interesting that you talked about a kleptomaniac because the word for thieves, this New Testament word for thieves, uh, what, what, what is the, the meaning? And then we'll just tell you about the Greek word, the meaning. Go ahead.
2: An embezzler, a pilfer, uh, pilferer, the name is translated to false teachers who do not care to instruct men but abuse their confidence for their own
1: gain. All right, so it gives you a sense of how it's applied in the New Testament. But the word uh, for thieves is kleptus. That's where we get kleptomaniac from. Oh, what a riot. Okay, so this is something we need to understand is a very serious thing. You don't pilfer. You don't take things that are not yours for any reason. Bottom line, Jonathan, is this. Heaven is closed to thieves. That's what this text is telling us. Heaven is closed to thieves. It is one thing to have been a thief. It's an entirely different thing to continue being one after you know Christ. This says, such were some of you. God is not judging us if we are Christians based on what we were. He's judging us based on how we handle what he has given us through Jesus. That's the important thing. So what you were, folks, that's behind you. What is it that you do with what you are? And are you bringing those ill-gotten gains with you and those ill-gotten Ill, ill-practiced habits with you, or are you leaving them behind? Another thing we need to understand is we need to pay close attention to those who exploit followers of Christ. They are stealing from others, and they are stealing from God. And this kind of sounds familiar to what we just talked about with the Pharisees and the Den of Thieves. Let's look at Titus chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. For
2: there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that should not be taught for the sake of sordid gain. Well, Rick, what about the prosperity gospel? Uh, They're stealing money from their congregation. It, It looks like they're brainwashing them.
1: When you see something like that, where you give promises of, well, you're going to have great wealth and abundance if you only give, if you only give, if you only give, and 999 out of 1,000 of those people give and give and give, and they don't see any results, you have to say, something's wrong with this picture. And the, the preacher can be saying, well, you have a lack of faith, and I say, you have a lack of integrity. That's what you have. And let's remind everyone, heaven is closed to thieves. Let's just be clear. We do not want to go down a road of taking advantage of somebody that's defrauding them. That's one of the definitions of being a thief. And thieves do not enter the kingdom. What's your conscience telling you? What's your highest conscience telling you about your own actions and your own thinking? Let's be clear on this. High standards of honesty, Jonathan, what do we have?
2: Well, Jesus focused us on the heart of the matter when it comes to stealing. When tempted to take what is not ours... Let us deeply consider our why
1: before we allow ourselves to engage in a sinful what. Remember the Old Testament was about the what. Jesus talked to us about the why. Make sure we are considering what our why is first before we go to the what. This helps us keep things very clear and very straight. So as usual, Jesus elevates the commandments of God to make us examine our hearts. The question is, Am I listening? So,
2: what if I feel a need to steal to supply a need we simply cannot
1: manage? Is stealing justified then? All right, so now we get into that big question. There is much that can be said to answer this question. So, let's put the question in the context of our present conversation. We're talking about Christian principles regarding stealing that are built upon the Jewish law. And as we talk about those principles, we need to understand exactly how to apply them in a Christian way. We're going to talk about that question. Well, what if you're at the end of your rope? All right, this is an important question. Before we get there... Let's listen to this quote. It's a quote that typifies our typical desire in our typical time now to find the extreme exception to the rule. This is one of those quotes you read and say, yeah, if it happens there, that means I've got rationalization. I can do it because. This is a quote from Mindy Weisberger.
2: In the natural world, stealing is a necessary and frequent strategy for survival. Every animal group includes opportunists that snatch others' fresh kills, pilfer nesting materials, or swipe
1: prospective mates from distracted rivals. So, great. What are you trying to say? Seriously, what are we trying to say here? Shall we all act like dogs and steal each other's food and growl and, and, and fight? Is this... Oh no. Well, but this is what the quote is implying. Well, that happens in the natural world. So, we're supposed to have integrity. We're created in the image of God.
2: Yes, let's, amen.
1: Let's act like it. This doesn't mean we take guidance from the natural world. Come on, let's, let's, let's be smarter than this. Okay, let's go to the what if I deserve it thing. What if I deserve it? Should I therefore have it? You know, somebody a long time ago set a trend with this I deserve it mentality Let's look at the initiation, the first time, and this, yeah, I am quite sure, this is the first time the I deserve it, I should have it mentality existed. Isaiah 14, verses 13 to 14.
2: But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit in the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Well, Rick, here it is, Lucifer, the first thief.
1: There you go. The, I deserve it, I should have it. That's where it started. So at this point, who do you want to associate with? God Almighty, the God of justice, love, mercy, and power? Or Lucifer, the dark lord of this world, who tried to take what was not his? Because that mentality belongs to satanic thinking. Just being honest in accordance with scripture. Before we get into the issue, Jonathan, let's go back to one last time, how people rationalize fraud. Kelly Richmond Pope, it's a TED Talk. And listen, we're going to hear an actual example of stealing trust from others. And it's not
0: just corporate greed. Governments and nonprofits are also susceptible to fraud. During her time as city comptroller for Dixon, Illinois, Rita Crundwell embezzled over $53 million. Rita was one of the country's leading quarter horse breeders and winner of 52 World Championships. But the cost of maintaining the herd ran to $200,000 per month. Because her position gave her complete control over city finances, she was easily able to divert money to an account she used for private expenses and the scheme went unnoticed for 20 years. It is believed that Cronwell felt entitled to a lavish lifestyle based on her position and the notoriety her winnings brought to the city. It's tempting to think of fraud as a victimless crime because corporations and civic institutions aren't people. But fraud harms real people in virtually every case. The citizens of Dixon, whose taxes subsidized horse breeding, the customers of companies which raise their prices to offset losses. Sometimes the effects are obvious and devastating, like when Bernie Madoff caused thousands of people to lose their life savings. But often they're subtle and not easy to untangle, yet someone, somewhere, is left holding the bill.
1: Such a a dramatic example of this woman, $53 million over 20 years, And there had to be this amazing rationalization to say, I'm doing good for my community. Look at the notoriety I'm bringing, on and on and on. But you're stealing other people's money. You're taking things that don't belong to you. And you're saying, well, I'm doing it for the good of everybody. No, you're not. You're simply not. Folks, we need to understand, you shall not steal needs to be looked squarely in the eye and stared down and then thrown away. We can't go down that road. So, Have you ever heard the saying, beg, borrow, or steal? Yes. All right. This saying appeared, actually, I had to look it up, because where did this come from? Well, it appeared in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, The Tale of the Man of Law, back in 1386. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was shocked (laughs) to hear how old it was. It was also the title of a 1937 movie as well. It's an idiom for doing whatever is necessary to accomplish a specific task. So does this justify stealing?
2: No, of course not. And so to beg, borrow, or steal means... Whatever it takes, yeah, am going to do it. Do it anyway.
1: Right. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, wrong. What if instead of defaulting to the most extreme case of what to do when absolutely there's absolutely no other option but stealing, what if we do- default to all the things we can do before we get to that extreme end result? Because, Jonathan, the bottom line is people always want to know, well, what would you do in the most extreme case? And my answer to that is, when does that most extreme case occur? And why does that most extreme case occur? And I would, will tell you that on the road to that most extreme case, there are lots and lots of exits that most of us just won't take. And we get to that most extreme thing, we say, well, see, here I am. I had no choice. Yes, you did, most likely. Now, occasionally, maybe not, but most likely, you had choices. So instead of bed, beg, borrow, or steal... What about seek, act, and rely? What do we mean by that? Seek. Seek out help.
2: Well, this requires humility.
1: It does. This is a big thing. Humility. That is Romans 13, 8-10. Owe
2: oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to your neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law.
1: So, love, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. We want to be able to be in that position. What if, though, we're in a position of lack? What if we're in a position of difficulty? What if we're not making ends meet? What if things are too hard and and, and just circumstances have overrun us? Ask. Seek for help. Seek. Look. Look around. Look for those who have the same kind of faith that you have and say, I'm embarrassed, but I have a need. Can you help me? Put that out there because you'd be amazed at how quickly others will jump to your aid, because most of us have this heart that wants to be of service to another. Loving our brother means helping them in need. If you are in great need, seek out those of like faith for help. Both Old and New Testament teaching expect this kind of kindness. They don't just hope for it, they expect it. It's interesting. Uh, Well, go ahead.
2: Well, why not ask for help? Because what's the alternative? You're going to go to prison for doing a wrong. And that is a worse scenario than you are in right now.
1: And someone will say, yeah, maybe, but not if you don't get caught. So, but again, that's the rationalization. And when we rationalize, instead of seeking for help, and you know what, Jonathan, the the, the hard part of seeking for help is being humble, humble enough to admit that you're in that situation but that's what we need to do. Listen to the way the Old Testament was set up for the the Jewish nation. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22.
2: When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleanings of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Helping your
1: fellow man, I love it, it's, it's very straightforward. Don't reap the corners of your field. Leave them on purpose so those who are needy have a place to go.
2: And God built this into his law, charity for
1: others. And it's such a beautiful experience. And that should be the kind of template that we use toward one another, being willing to be helpful. So the Old Testament law required it. New Testament direction requires it as well. Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And recognizing the
2: grace that had been given to me, James and Peter and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the
1: poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. This is a great example because when you look at the New Testament and you trace what the Apostle Paul did for the poor, especially those in Jerusalem, those who did not know, it's remarkable. He had such a heart for those who didn't have. Now, he wasn't a wealthy man. He was on the road. He would work wherever they went so he could support himself and others, but he worked at raising funds to help those who had the same faith to build them up and keep them going.
2: Well, the loving brethren just came together and say, Here, Paul, help the Jerusalem brethren. Here,
1: right. I have something, take this. And and when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, You know, I've seen you help before, but I bet you can do better. You know, and just <laughs> he's just because it's so important to him. And folks, look, when you have a great need, ask. Ask those who have the same faith and work together to build you build yourselves up. Seek, seek out help. It requires humility. Act. Act in a manner, that's the second piece now, act in a manner that is appropriate to righteousness.
2: This requires
1: discipline. Absolutely does. A lot of discipline. Ephesians 4, 27 and 28.
2: And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Well, Rick, the point is, to not always be the needy one, Hmm. to have a period, let's say a season of need in your life to receive the abundance of that need, to grow through it and then supply someone else in their need. That is what it's all about.
1: And that's growing up. So when we act in a manner that's appropriate to righteousness, we're not looking for the I've got no other choice. We can go down that road and we can rationalize our way to that end. And I submit to you, there are many exits off of that. And this is one of them. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no more. Work. If you have to, barter. Do whatever it is you have to do so that you can put things in order. Not only should we go to any length to legitimately take care of ourselves, like you said, Jonathan, this is big. Our objective should be to rise to a point where we can be the ones who help others.
2: And you mentioned barter with someone. You know, work out an agreement that can actually work or, or borrow and follow through on what is borrowed. Be a man or woman of integrity to say, I will fulfill what we have
1: done here. So we say, well, what if you get to the point? Stop, let's not even go there. Let's figure out all of the exits off the road to getting to that point, because I submit to you that it's a rare occasion where people get to such a point. It's rare. And when we look at the ways that we can avert the, the problem, it takes humility and it takes discipline. And the third piece, Jonathan, is to rely. Rely on God's grace and on those we know who are spiritually minded to help separate us from our wants and focus us on our true needs. And this requires faith and trust and that humility. It does. Faith, trust, and humility to rely on others. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2.
2: Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted, but bear one another's burdens and
1: thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfilling the law of Christ is helping each other, holding each other up. Not taking, not you taking my responsibilities from me, but you helping me to bear my responsibilities. And sometimes, Jonathan, I might need to borrow from you. Sometimes I might need your charity. Well, whatever it is, help me to grow up in Christ. Help me to avert that difficulty. And Jonathan, one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen is when somebody— fellow Christian, is in great need and they're reached out to and they're given tremendous help to watch them not only accept it, feel a little embarrassed at the beginning, but grow up and then become those who can actually help others. That's what Christian maturity is. That's what we're That's talking beautiful.
2: about. That's beautiful. That's beautiful.
1: We're, 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 we're prospective members of a body for a reason. So folks, when you say, well, what about that extreme example? I say to you, stop with the extreme Look at all the ways to avoid it and be serious about not getting to the extreme and rationalizing something we shouldn't do. We look out for and support one another to the benefit of all. And and this scripture talks about the spirit of gentleness. See, this spirit of gentleness is helping individuals separate from their sinful thoughts and ways and move back into their mind of spirituality. They get lost sometimes, and it's okay. We just want to help them not go down those roads, those roads that don't have integrity, thou shalt not steal. High standard of integrity, Jonathan, as we wrap this up.
2: Stealing is no small matter. Our bottom line as Christians is to avoid any action that could be interpreted as such as we seek godliness, righteousness, and faithfulness.
1: You shall not steal. Folks, let's not make excuses to go down some road that we make up to make us feel like, well, it was justified. I submit to you that there's probably 10 or 15 ways to avoid that if we truly apply ourselves. Final scripture, Jonathan. I think this really puts this all into a really, really, really clear perspective. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 to 27.
2: Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get
1: sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Stay on a straight path. Mark the path, guard your heart above all else. Don't ever take the, 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 the hint, the lead to go down a road that is a lack of integrity. We are representatives of God through Christ. Let us act like representatives of God through Christ and never, never allow ourselves to go down those roads. Stay on the path of righteousness. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean or iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever, wherever you get your podcast, please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. And Jonathan, coming up next week, we're going on to the Ninth Commandment. Is there a difference between exaggerating and lying? This is big. Is there a difference between exaggerating and lying? Talk to you about that next week.